Enjoy local voices. Enjoy local opinions. All on one local app. Health, sports, local news, politics, and so much more. Podcast DC is the new local app with hundreds of DC area podcasts. Featuring some of the DC area's best personalities, pundits, and provocateurs. Earn exciting rewards just for listening and share the podcasts you love instantly. With new programs being added every week, don't hesitate. Download Podcast DC now for free. Available in the App Store or in Google Play. Podcast DC. Listen local. Say It Loud Network presents Corner Table Talk. Well, welcome everyone to this episode of Corner Table Talk. You know, today, as I prepared for my guest, the inspiration to do a podcast encompassing food plus drink plus culture became even more clear to me. The thing about having spent so many nights in restaurants is the benefit, the good fortune to have met some fascinating people from all walks of life. And now being able to, in some cases, decades later, walk back through some of our collective journey. Today's show captures every bit of that sentiment. John Hope Bryant, by way of formal introduction, is an American entrepreneur and philanthropist who has built more than 40 organizations, entities and companies, including Operation Hope, which is the largest nonprofit financial inclusion organization in the country. And that's saying something. And the Promise Homes Company the largest for-profit institutional quality minority controlled owner of single family rental real estate in the country. That's also saying something. But on a personal note, John is my friend of over 25 years. To say that I, along with the folks who on many afternoons in the mid-90s gathered at tables in Los Angeles in the haze of the trauma-inducing events post-Rodney King, trying to coalesce around ideas about what we as young concerned citizens could do, what we should do with our collective desire to address issues. John, to say that we are proud of how far you have taken this conversation would be a massive understatement, but I'm going to say it anyway. Brother, we are so, so proud of you. And I say that for our collective body of friends back in Los Angeles and um, around the country. Oh, Thank thanks, you, sir. Man. And thanks for making me officially cool, Brad Johnson. You were <laughs> the first person that made me even, uh, I mean, even like parallel to the word cool. I was definitely a, a dork. I was definitely just like that business guy working around with a, with a briefcase and a suit on in Calvary, California at, you know, 10, 11, 12 years old. You allowed me to come into what used to be called Georgia's, uh, one of your many beautiful achievements and, and creations, and you embraced me. And first of all, to have this uh, iconic figure in Los Angeles, uh, who is the epitome, in my opinion, of cool, and I say cool, I don't mean like some uh, soft soap, vain, thin uh, analogy of looks and vibe and whatever. I'm talking about, I'm talking about cool philosophically. I'm talking about cool in the sense that he's a high frequency thinker. I'm talking about cool in the sense that he uh, is thinking, talking without uh, words. He's talking with energy. I'm talking about cool because he's inclusive uh, of everybody in the room. I'm talking about cool because he's smart as a whip. <laughs> and, he's, and he made smart sexy long before that was in vogue. That to me is cool. Uh, when you see everybody in the room and you see them for their collective and individual value, even though maybe in that moment they were not the the, the uh, identity of what people thought was uh, 
shallowly defined as cool. That, 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 didn't, that didn't cross your mind, I mean, at all. I mean, you didn't care who anybody thought about who you were sitting with. They were your friend or somebody you were interested in, uh, period. And um, I, I joke about it, but I'm serious. I mean, my last book, Up From Nothing, The Untold Story of How We All Succeed, is a lot about giving people courage, Brad, because people are, this world is cruel, man. And if your identity and self-esteem is defined by how somebody else treats you or whether you are in vogue or cool, you'll be devastated on a daily basis. Luckily, that was not one of my problems. But I did not necessarily find people who understood me back then. I didn't care, right? I'm sorry. I care a little, actually. I don't Mm -hmm. care now. I I did care a little back Mm -hmm. then. Uh, That's why I'm making this point. But how much time I wasted (laughs) and people waste worrying about somebody's view of them that doesn't really matter, (laughs) right? Right. Um, And sort of paying attention to the noise, right? And it's all all it is is noise. It, what you find out in hindsight is that it none of it mattered, right? Um, and those people often didn't matter. And many of those people are asking me for jobs and contracts and hookups now. Um, or I like to say, there's no ugly billionaires, right? <laughs> um, but you know, you you just were unique, man. And uh, you continue that today. You know, defining. I mean, how many restaurateurs are doing podcasts? I mean, you just redefine the game. You drive around in a classic Mercedes, you know, not, you know, not, not the newest, whatever you got the classic top down, you know, <laughs> black Marlin Brando Benz. I just like the way you flow. I like yeah. the way you grow. I like the way you love. I like the way you friendship. And for that, you've got a friend for life. Like oh, brother, you, with Brad Johnson got to mess with me first. You know how much I appreciate that, man. And, and I tell you, John, you know, the, the affirmation, you're, you're absolutely right. And as we get older, I think we we hopefully care less about what people think about us and we stay focused on whatever our mission is. But I tell you, man, it, the affirmation that you get from people that do matter when they say the things and they affirm the things that that you want to believe that you represent, it means the world. So I wanted to uh, just say thank you for those kind words of yours. And I wanted to also acknowledge that John is a best-selling author, as he referred to his book, Up From Nothing, which is out now. Um, I've read a couple of his books. And the last one that I read was The Memo, Five Rules for Your Economic Liberation. And I'll tell you, while it was kind of a basic how-to, even at my age, and I just read it recently, I'd read uh, one of his books, um, How the Poor Can Save Capitalism, many years ago when it first came out. But this book, I think you wrote it in 2016 or 17. It still resonated with me, even though there was some pretty simple philosophy. So I want to get to that. Um, But John, what we do with this show is we start off with what I call short order questions. So these are just a couple of things to kind of get your take and and not meant to strain your brain too quickly, too fast. So here we go. So John, tell me, man, what's in heavy rotation on your playlist these days? What are you listening to? Literally whatever is on the radio. I'm not, I love music uh, and I love all kinds of music as long as it's it's good quality. But uh, this sort of goes back to what I was saying earlier, like, I'm just consciously oblivious of most things around me. I'm not oblivious. I'm not, you know, I'm consciously oblivious. Like I can only focus on but so much quality thought processes at a time. Your brain can only hold so much quality information and process it. Mm-hmm. So I just, I just, you know, people talking noise, mess, whatever, you know, extraneous. I don't make my money or build my wealth on music or on sports or whatever. So those things are just extra for me. Mm-hmm. They soothe my soul, 
they cascade over me like uh, a warm blanket on a rainy Sunday afternoon. Uh, but then they warm me like a fireplace, but they don't mm-hmm. divide me. So it's supplemental to your day, not central. Yeah, it's not, mm-hmm. it's not, it's not identifying. I do listen to my boys, my, my boy. I love my, my friend, Howard Hewitt. I listen to him all the time. Uh, my, my boy, killer Mike, friend of mine. I listen to him all the time. So I listen to my friends, you know, T.I., mm-hmm. he's a friend of mine. I listen to his stuff. I, if you're my, it's Quincy Jones, he's, you know, a mentor of mine. I listen to his stuff. So if you have a personal relationship with me or I with you, uh, uh, I tend to have an affection and affinity mm-hmm. that draws me closer to that music. Uh, and, and there's more relationship to it than just hearing something generically. So I'll put that, if you want to call that, if you want to think it's on the rotation, you can count for the fact that, that those who I have a relationship with are on rotation more than, they, than those who are not. Tell me, John, the, um, the time of day that you feel most productive. That's a great question. It depends. Um, so right now is my left brain time of day. Uh, this is my premier time for creation. That's why I've got a multi-channel workstation where I can work on eight things at one time and and, and three more stations here on my desk. Um, uh, probably in the like five to eight is transition time. Nine is about dinner time. And then I guess my best time of the day is nine is 10 p.m. to one in the morning. Mm-hmm. That's my time. That's when I that's when I do whatever I want to do. Get on the racing simulator and practice. I have a racing competitive auto racing license or go play video games. People don't know that about me. Uh, or, uh, uh, you know, um, I, I don't go to the gym at night because that's not enjoyable. I do it in the morning. <laughs> uh, but, you know, sit and watch documentaries or movies with the family, mm-hmm. go to the theater. So that's my time. 10 p.m. to 1 in the morning is where I feed the right side of my brain. That's the creative side. The left side of my brain, the analytical side, uh, is like, you know, nine to nine uh, uh, every day. And I love both sides, but one is gas and one is fuel. The gas is during the day. I get refueled at night. That's great, man. John is also clairvoyant among his other many skills because he just mentioned his his interest in racing. And that was actually my next uh, question alludes to that. So tell me, John, top speed you've hit on the track and what were you driving? Oh, that's a great question. Um I uh, I've done a, I think a buck ninety. Um, what was I driving? Um, it might have been the Ford Shelby GT three fifty R, my official track car. Uh, uh, I've done one seventy in a Ferrari four eight eight. You know, once you get above you know one fifty, it they all feel the same. <laughs> <laughs> Either you have a good experience or you don't. Right. <laughs> uh, but. Um, yeah, it, I've, I've driven everything under the sun. It's got four wheels on it. There's downforce cars, um, which I've driven and run races in in South Africa and in, in, uh, in Europe. There's uh, GT cars, which I tend to like the most because it required, if you're going around a corner in a GT car, a tin top, a car that you and I recognize, you know you're doing it. It's mm-hmm. not the design of the car that's doing it. You know you're doing it. Um, but yeah, if, uh, open, I've driven open, open wheel cars. Um, yeah. I love, you know, Brad, I love it because, you know, you can't BS mm-hmm. in a race car. <laughs> you, you can't, it doesn't care about who you are, your ego, your whatever. Mm-hmm. You can't multitask. Mm-hmm. You can't go in the course. You can pull up the you know, mobile phone, talk mess, whatever. You, you can't do any of that. You've got to multitask in the car. Mm-hmm. And you've got, it's like Buddhism at 150 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. You've got to really calm yourself. My Actually, the faster I go, the calmer I get. Mm-hmm. because smooth is fast. 
and and you can't think about going around that corner. You think about it, you've already passed the corner. Yeah, you're in the dirt, the gravel, or the wall. You got to. It has to be intuitive. And the track connects with the tires, which connect to the wheel, which connects to the mainframe and the brakes and or the accelerator. Your foot and all that translates up to your butt and into your your system. And your you gotta. I mean, you gotta be in one way. It's almost somewhere between spare, either sexual or spiritual. And I don't mean sexual in a nasty way. I mean it is a in a way that's sensual. It is a sensual experience. Um, and it's the only sport I've ever been elegant at. You know, it's funny that you mentioned the elegance of it. I attended the um, Grand Prix in Long Beach a few years ago, and I was taken by the glamour of the event. I mean, it gets very loud and you you know put on your headphones or, or whatever. But there's there's this, there's a glamour and there's just an awesomeness to the power that you're watching on the track and the gracefulness with which you have to operate those vehicles. There's, there's a lot going on there. And I, and I really, really enjoyed it. All right. Tell me, John, it's a night out in Atlanta. Where are you going for dinner and what are you having? Let's assume that the, the pandemic is allowing folks to, to socialize freely. Tell me about one of your spots and, and something you like on that menu. I'm going wherever my wife tells me <laughs> that won't irritate me. Uh, <laughs> so I'm unlike you, you know, I'm about who uh, I'm about who I'm with, not what I'm eating. Like you're you're the creator of the experience. I don't know. Twenty restaurants I remember in the world are yours. And I've been a hundred countries. I don't. I, I I do meals every day because it's business. But I typically don't remember the experience. I'm I'm vibing on who I'm with and what I'm just extracting or pouring into that person. And I just hope the food doesn't irritate me. I was just in the Bahamas. Food irritated me all four or five days. Uh, they overcharged me and underserved me in quality because Brad Johnson wasn't there. But if I if I had if if I was going someplace in Atlanta to answer your question, and if it wasn't just where my wife was saying go, Shatra, me and her and Ambassador Young and Carolyn going out tomorrow night, we just got that confirmation today but it'll probably be the garden room at the saint regis that is uh, i think the sexiest location the most elegant high frequency location you walk in there you think you're in france mm-hmm. it's got it's got you know foliage and trees inside and and flowers and smell and feel it's got all your right brain senses it's love on steroids but they've created this ecosystem this environment this culture where you're stepping into another world if you want quiet you want to read a book you can do that in a corner. There's a bar, an open mm-hmm. bar. It's not a disgusting bar. It's not a. It's just. It's an open source, fun, almost feng shui in France sort of a situation where energy flows. There's no breaking of the energy, and people are there have meeting each other and building relationships. If you want to bring, you take your mother there, or your or your wife, or your girlfriend, or whatever. It, it's something for everybody. It's intimate while also being open, and and it's elegant without being snooty. Mm-hmm. It is part of the Saint Regis, but it is a separate entity of of the Saint Regis, and um, it was hidden for a long time. I happen to know the owners, so they 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 allow us to go in there when we want to. But it's opening up more and more now. If you come to Atlanta, try to go to the go to the Saint Regis. Atlanta is such a special place, Brad. It's. Uh, Thank God there's a lot of really cool places to go if that's your thing. I love that, man. Thank you. So last one of these, John, who past or present would you most like to host at an intimate dinner party? My, my boy, T.D. Jakes. Uh, what's really great is that we, we, are, we are really close friends now. But we actually came became much closer during the pandemic, which means I haven't seen him. So I knew Bishop T.D. Jakes and we were friendly, but we became boys friends, like two in the morning, again, it's my one, two in the morning thing. We talk, Mm -hmm. text at one, two in the morning because he's off duty and so am I. 
now it's just two guys talking. And the only thing would be better is we're sitting at both of us sitting at a Brad Johnson restaurant. <laughs> plan on doing. We just just tra- just traded message. Hey, we gotta get together. Like we gotta, you know, hug each other and commune. I'd like to host a dinner party for him. I think he's a. St- I, I think he's a step above. We just hosted a party for Ambassador Young and Carolyn for their wedding anniversary. He is, I think, the closest thing we got to Nelson Mandela in the world today. Uh, he won't really be recognized for his true contributions until he unfortunately is gone. Uh, you know who he is, Dr. King's right arm. Absolutely, yeah. Big right, who made Atlanta ambassador. And one of your primary mentors. Yeah, so we just hosted him last weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, T.D. Jakes is at the, just hit me top of my list. Mm-hmm. I'd love to do something for Quincy Jones only because mm-hmm. I, I just think he does something for everybody else. And I think I know a different side of Quincy. So I'd love to do that uh, for a lot of reasons that probably won't happen. But Desmond Tutu, uh, I, I, it's, it's, it's our heroes and our sheroes mm-hmm. that... I want the world to to know that you're you're standing on tall shoulders. But I, I just want to give back to those who made my life possible. I have a feeling that at that dinner party, you could just keep adding chairs and uh, each guest would uh, be distinguished in their own right. And that'd be a, a, a fascinating uh, dinner party to to be part of. So let's, let's dive in here, John. And, and thanks again, man. I know you're incredibly busy. I really appreciate you taking the time. So I want to ask you how you've handled the challenges. You started to allude to the fact that you're closing a bunch of deals. And I've seen, you know, a few of those announced recently and they're they're very impressive. But with all that has gone on, man, this last, you know, 12 to 15 months, and you can take any part of that from, you know, the, 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 the protests around police brutality, George Floyd, Donald Trump. Um, the pandemic, any part of that, and this has been an unprecedented year, and and not to mention as a native Angelino, the fact that 2020 started off with the tragic death of Kobe Bryant, his daughter, and the other folks on that helicopter, which was devastating, you know, for us, the, I think for anybody that uh, can relate to losing someone that uh, they feel that they know, even if they might not know, know them personally. But I'm just really curious, John, how you have handled personally and professionally the challenges of, of the last 12 months, 15 months. Don't waste a moment. Don't waste a moment in stupid conversations, arguing with people who are acting stupid, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, trying to prove your point to somebody who doesn't have a point. <laughs> um being an expert in what you're against and the world hooked on what it's for. You got to get your mindset right, man. You got to get your head right. I mean, if you didn't have your, have your head right coming into the, to 2020, you're depressed right now. You're depressed. You're distressed. You're you're lost. You, you have no sense of purpose. You're angry, maybe. You're frustrated. Um, you're, you know, a lot of people, it, you, this this crisis, this, this, if you didn't really like your mate, <laughs> I mean, I had one, I had a friend of a friend told me, he actually didn't know what his wife looked like until this pandemic. Like, she, he, he, even married to her, you know what I mean? He, you know, she took, she, I guess she wore makeup to work, to bed. I'm, I'm not kidding. Like, he spent so much time during the pandemic. Like, it was like he, the first time he looked at her, really, you know, in years since they were dating. That's really sad. But I think that we were going in different directions. We were, you know, I got this appointment, whatever. Uh, I think God set us down. The, the God said, hey, slow down. This is not what I intended. It may be what you intended. It's not what I intended. So everybody, but uh, to your point, Brad, the, the George Floyd, uh, uh, you know, public lynching, you know, because of the pandemic, uh, we all were sitting down, girls and boys, black and white, millionaire, millionaire billionaires, am I trying to buy some air? Liberal, Republican, Democrat, uh, ur- urban, rural, 
you know, college students who don't watch the news, right? Everybody was forced to sit down and watch this eight and a half minute public lynching. Any other time, oh man, what did you hear about that thing? What thing? Oh, I got a meeting. I'll tell me about it later. Mm-hmm. People were just too busy. But God set us down, man. Mm-hmm. Worst pandemic since the Spanish flu. 40-year-old social justice reckoning of black America. Worst economic crisis for unemployment since the Great Depression. Worst challenge of our democracy since 1812 when the British stormed the Capitol. This time it was Americans storming the Capitol against other Americans. All that happened within six to eight months. 35, on the back end of that, rainbows after storms. Because you cannot have a rainbow without a storm first. $35 billion committed by the private sector, not the government, the private sector for social justice, primarily for black folks, which I mean, get, hopefully get to this third reconstruction period. But it, I got, it, it became crystal clear to me, man, that we're sitting in a moment in history. But history doesn't feel historic when you're sitting in it. It just feels like another day. And everything that I've been saying that people were rolling their eyes for for 20 years, Oh, John O'Brien. Oh, financial literacy. Oh, capitalism. Oh, I'm just so tired of hearing this guy. It's like, people are like, boom. Like, what are you talking about again? Can you can you repeat what you said? Where do I get that video? I mean, it all, whether you, it didn't matter who you were, you were dealing with some, sh- some crap in March and April of 2020. Your whole life fell apart. Uh, my billionaire friends were worried that their stuff was going to go to zero for a minute. They actually gained more wealth in 2020 than any time probably in their professional career because if you were digital and connected, the economy actually disconnected, Brad. You had the investor economy that took off and the workforce economy got stuck and we're still disconnected. And that's a a problem I'm trying to solve right now with my work, which hopefully we'll get to. But everything I've been saying, preaching, talking about that had been blown off, dismissed, whatever came into technicolor focus in the first four months of uh, 2020. My, I went on Gail King's show, my website crashed. Those weren't black people. Those were white people going, I got too much month at the end of my money. Like, I'm arguing with my wife. My restaurant's closed down. Like, uh, I need help. Uh, so my, my services went through the roof at Operation Hope. Uh, everything that I had learned, known, or prepared for was called into service. Um, and it was no time to sleep. I just had to be very clear-eyed, very focused, and, and just keep it every day. Hit I never worked hard in my life, March of 2020 to basically a month ago. Yeah, you know, I, I went back and watched one of your, um, I think it was from 2016, a, a sit down that you had with Van Jones. And just what you were saying now, John, it, Ferguson had just happened. And I think you had just visited Ferguson. And some of the, the same issues that you just alluded to, you were speaking of then. And, um, you know, and, and unfortunately, we have seen, you know, some of the some of the same um, the, the, the outcome of those same circumstances continue to play themselves out for, for folks who might not know enough about John. I just wanted to put into context what John has has been able this this, this to me, John, was one of the, the accolades that I think that I was most uh, most happy to see. And that was the Smithsonian uh, Museum. Operation Hope became a permanent part of the Smithsonian, which is the African-American Museum in D.C. on April 15, 2019. And the city of Atlanta, city council in the city of Atlanta, where John currently lives, uh, proclaimed April 15th, John Hope Bryant Day. I just think that's so cool, man, and and so deserving. Because you have multiple business interests, John, and multiple companies, 
I know you consider yourself an entrepreneur and a philanthropist. Those are kind of the two um, titles up front. But I don't even think that that really hits the entire picture. Would you mind just kind of describing your mission and and just what what uh, what John Hope Bryant is is all about and take that wherever you want to take that. I'm a relay racer, Brad. Uh, no different than you're a relay racer. You're you're your your dad's child and your grandpa your grandfather's legacy. And you yeah, you've talked to me about that long lineage and how you you in many ways keep that alive. And you're pouring into your lineage uh, also uh, it, to make them the best they can be. I'm a relay racer, and I think that we're in a third reconstruction right now. I think that I'm trying to take us from civil rights to civil rights, from a, from from protests in the streets, the business deals in the business suites, um, from a color of black and white and red and blue to a color of green, to make free enterprise work for all of God's children. Um, I have a four-point, four-part mission. One is I want to create an economic ecosystem and infrastructure that's rebootable, scalable, and sustainable for black America. It doesn't exist. It's never existed. Uh, we are a $1.4 trillion consumer spending force. But all we do is spend, really. Um, and when you think about our Jewish brothers and sisters and how they survived the Holocaust, they had five pillars of success before the Holocaust and five pillars afterwards. As much education as they can shut down their throat. They understood financial literacy, the math, how wealth creation, money, uh, works. By the way, there's a difference between making money and building wealth. Big difference, huge difference. Our community tends to obsess on, I want to get that paper. I want to make that money. I want to get paid. I want to get, I want to, I want to, I want, how do I get, how do I get this, this, this dollar? It's immediacy. It's today. Money is overrated. <laughs> it's a means of transacting value and it has velocity. If you are dumb as two nails, it will come in your hands and roll right through it and go to somebody else. And, and you're going to invest in depreciating assets like jewelry versus investing in appreciating assets like real estate, right? Or a business, as you have done, and you build wealth in your sleep. Please, anybody listening to this, you, you want to dismiss everything I'm saying, please listen to this. You only build wealth in your sleep. That's it. It's compounding. Real estate, stocks, bonds, education, rental income, I can go on and on and on. So one, they got the math. Uh, the, the message on math and how the wealth creation works, my Jewish brothers. Number three uh, is family structure and resiliency. Number four, self-esteem and confidence. Those two things are different. You can have high confidence and still have very low self-esteem. This is a problem in the black community that is huge. This is why folks, with my opinion, would dismiss and player hate me coming up. Because if anybody, by the way, anybody's listening to this right now and going, ah, that John Hope Brad, ah, that Brad John, who do they think they are? Guess what? You have a problem we don't. We don't know you. We've done nothing to you. You should be saying, everybody should be going, bravo. Everybody listens, bravo. God bless you, Brad Johnson. God bless you, John O'Brien. You're doing something that's advancing. Let me take a, a, a page out of that book. Anybody who has anything but a, anybody has anything but a positive view in their mind right now, you got to check yourself. And so self, low self-esteem was designed by slavery and slaveholders to destroy you, to destroy your spirit so you wouldn't fight back in a way that was most effective. We fought back with our hands. You really should be fighting back with your mindset. That's my last book up from nothing. So number three, we have confidence, which comes from competence. So you can be competent at something and have that gives you confidence. That doesn't mean you have high self-esteem. Most dangerous person in the world, person with no hope. Second most dangerous person in the world, somebody with power, wealth, confidence, low self-esteem, fear, and insecurities. 
We will not name names, but there's a public figure we could probably draw a circle around right now. It fits that circle completely. That is, Hitler was that person. There's people today that fit that profile. That that is a malignant narcissist. Now, number four. So that's number four. Number five is role models and environment. So what does role modeling mean? You model what you see. What is environment? If you hang around nine broke people, you'll be the tenth. So the people who've been massively successful in this country were attracted here because they're Type A. And they wanted they wanted freedom on steroids. That's why we're the biggest economy in the world. Those who were brought here and denied those five things, those basically is Native American Indians, poor whites, and African Americans. Not Nigerian Americans, not Brazilian Africans, not not uh, African South Africans, not African Rwandans, not African Niger- uh, Ethiopians, African Americans. That's why we have a different reality. And they come here and kill it in three or four years. And we're being killed. <laughs> and, and unfortunately, what's worse, we're killing ourselves and each other. That's low self-esteem. If I don't like me, I'm not going to like you. If I don't feel good about me, I'm not going to feel good about you. If I don't love me, don't expect me to love you. And if I don't have a purpose in my life, I'll make your life a living hell. Whatever goes around, comes around. So solving the spiritual death issue, the spiritual poverty issue is number one. On my personal list, I spent my whole life on that journey, being comfortable in my own skin, reasonably comfortable in my own skin. You're that way, I believe. So here's my fourth thing, building that that economic system I just mentioned for black America, cultivating the bottom 50% of our economy, which includes poor whites, uh, refining them, nurturing them, getting them tuned up to participate in the economy and and getting them into the game so that we can add two to 3% of GDP, gross domestic product to the economy. So we're not looking for charity anymore, we're looking for reinvestment from the bottom of the pyramid. Number three is becoming America's financial coach. That's work of Operation Hope. Number four, and we're the largest in the country. Uh, and number four, I have 1,200 offices in the contract, Operation Hope, largest by far of any nonprofit in the country. And number four is becoming a conscience on capitalism, which is what you see me doing on Squawk Box mm-hmm. and my books and all that stuff. So in that way, we're a relay racer from civil rights leaders in the 60s who are relay racers on civil justice leaders after civil war and it goes on it goes on it goes on i see myself as nothing more but a relay racer for this economic conversation social justice through an economic lens and if i leave this earth and that's all i do is those four things or even one or two of those four things i've done my part those uh statistics that you kind of rattle off quickly and toss to the side are accomplishments of yours, man, that that I think are just, you know, really amazing what you've been able to build. But I, I want to stay on just for a moment. And, and, you know, so much of what you say, John, is applicable regardless of race, of course. gender. Yeah. It's not black. It's not white. But I want to speak specifically about our situation. And that is the, 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 the black condition, because, you know, I, I think people shudder a bit when they when they start to think, oh, he's just talking about pulling yourself up by your bootstraps, that that whole thing. That's so not what you're saying. You are actually unpacking the trauma and replacing that trauma with the building blocks that weren't there. Right. And I and I just would like you because I thought the thing that you really zeroed in on a few years ago, which was just so brilliant, man, was the credit score. Right. And it's been I know you talked about that a lot, but I just think for some people that have never had that thought, it's such a paradigm shift. Right. Your credit score. Right. Do you mind just kind of staying in that in that lane for a minute? Yeah. So, you know, people go, oh, John, you know, credit score. Are you, are you telling me that credit score has something to do with social justice? 
Yes. <laughs> I mean, George Floyd was murdered in a 500 credit score neighborhood. 100% Brad of the, sh- the unfortunate shootings in neighborhood, meaning where they live, of blacks by police are and have been in 500 credit score neighborhoods. It's not happening in my neighborhood, <laughs> right? And I don't know where you live. It may not be happening in your neighborhood because the consequences are too high. 100%, if you want to go where all the drugs, the drugs, the homicides, the black-on-black crime or whatever, white-on-white crime, I don't care what, whatever it's negative, you'll find it in a 500 credit score neighborhood. Let me be visual for you. A check casher next to a payday loan lender, next to a rent-to-own store, next to a title lender, next to a pawn shop, next to a liquor store, next with a church down the street, which is the public therapist. Because we won't admit we're crazy, all right? <laughs> trying to make you feel better once a week. We're going there hooping and hollering, oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. We're just trying to get it out of our system so we don't kill somebody and mm-hmm. go back to work on Monday. That's, that's called therapy, right? And we should go see a shrink because we're all a little nuts. And if you don't admit you're nuts, you probably really are nuts. Traumatized. Yeah, we're traumatized. traumatized. We have, we're suffering from massive PTSD. And anybody else dealing with what we're dealing with would just be crazy. I mean, we, we are, we've been doing so much with so little for so long, we can almost do anything with nothing. The fact that there are black billionaires and the fact there's a whole generation of a population of successful African-American people, given what we've been dealing with for 400 years, shows we are some bad somethings, right? <laughs> Uh, and just imagine if we didn't spend all that energy fighting a negative, but to put that energy into, to me, I love math because it does not have an opinion. Putting that same energy into being positive, right? Uh, imagine what, what we could do. Brad, we'd be unstoppable, which is why I believe folks have uh, tripped us up. Uh, and, and created, If you came to America in the 1619s, you're big like you, my size maybe even, they, they would hold us back and, and, and abuse our wives in front of us until we stop fighting. What's the point? You can't do nothing about it. And they're not trying to break our, our bodies. They need our bodies. We were more, we were wealthier. We were worth more than railroads and uh, manufacturing combined in the 1840s. The wealthiest city in the world in 1840 was Natchez, Mississippi. The worst, first millionaire came out of financing cotton in New York City. The, the cotton came from us. The first millionaire and wealth in America came from us. But in order to have us not take over the situation, you had to break our spirit. Not our bodies. They needed our bodies. We were traded, insured, financed, uh, underwritten by insurance companies, by banks, right? With the, with the absolute assurance of the federal government. This was, this was an industry. This was a massive global industry. The largest reverse transfer of wealth in American history were black slaves, Right. So but they had to destroy our spirit. So that's what they did. They broke up our families. It's the reverse of those five pillars of success. I mentioned to you denied you education, denied you the math, broke up your families, broke up your spirit, devastated your self-esteem, gave you crappy role models, gave you a crappy environment. I mean, Andrew Young would say this to live in a system of free enterprise and not to understand the rules of free enterprise must be the very definition of slavery. Boom, drop the mic. So I've said this. There's never been a riot in a 700 credit score neighborhood in America's history. Ever. <laughs> Ever. Right? Ever. Because 700 communities, 700 credit score communities are riot. They go shopping. Right? <laughs> There's only riot in 500 credit score neighborhoods. That's where Operation was built. Born. South Central LA in a 500 credit score neighborhood. If you want to change America, and your people will laugh when I say this, but hold on. Move your neighborhood's credit score 100 points. Mm-hmm. It's not about the credit score. 
It's about the trending indicators that that represents. Hope, well-being, engagement, uh, education, two-parent households that, that pr- proliferate, uh, the, the, the mindset shifts from surviving to thriving and winning. The largest countries in the world, biggest GDPs, gross domestic product, have the most patents. All a patent is is a monetized idea. It is. But if you're in war, if you're if you're in battling every day for your life, are you creating some amazing new uh, frying pan for the kitchen or some cooling system or or, or 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 venting system for the back office of a restaurant? No. You're trying to figure out how to not get shot on the way home. So in some ways. This game we've been playing of defense is an extension of the trauma of slavery. And it's keeping us, again, it's the noise. It's the noise. And folks, what did Malcolm X say? We've been bamboozled. We've been tricked. We've been fooled. You know what's beautiful about a credit score, Brad? You can control it. I can't control how somebody else feels about me. I can't control whether you like me, respect me, love me or not. Let me tell you what Quincy Jones said. Not one ounce of my self-esteem or self-worth is defined on your acceptance of me. What did Reverend Murray say right there in LA, in Los Angeles? First Amy Church, Rodney King writes, it's not what people call you, it's what, they, what you answer to that's important. And never, ever, ever answer out of your name. And then I added, to argue with a fool proves there are two. Where does that self-esteem come from if it didn't come from your family? If, you, if, you, if your mother was working three jobs, wasn't there, your dad wasn't there, where does that self-esteem come from? It has to come from your culture, your tribe, or it has to come from a culture that you grew up in or you adopt. A credit score is a culture. It's a culture. And a high credit score is a culture of success. Where do Whole Foods go? 700 credit score neighborhoods. Where do Starbucks go? 700 credit score neighborhoods. I mean, it's no no mistake that these retailers- And and to your point, John, as an employer of young people, I can also tell you that when you care about your credit score, you also care about keeping your word. So you will show up for it. It is your you work. Will, there, there's so many things that start to fall in line with just that basic practice. It's much more, what you lay out is just much more instructive than the general idea of pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. Credit comes from the Latin word credito, which basically is credibility, which is tr- which is what you're just talking yeah. about. It's your credibility. It's everything. Yes, yeah, the word capital comes from the Latin word, root word capitas, which means knowledge in the head. It has nothing to do with money. You see, we're just looking for love in all the wrong places. <laughs> Again, Malcolm X said it. We've been bamboozled. We've been tricked. We've been fooled. It's like the it's like it's like the it's like that movie, the red pill or the blue pill, right? Which one are you gonna take? All right. You, we we've been taking the wrong pill, looking for love in all the wrong places, and aren't we sick and tired of being sick and tired? Mm-hmm. I mean, the definition of insanity. It's doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different outcome. I'm just I'm I'm just tired of us struggling when we should be winning. So, John, a couple of topics here, and then I'm just going to turn it over to you. Take any one of them uh, in in any order that that you like. But, you know, I, I know that you left Los Angeles several years ago. I'm curious as to what the motivation was behind that. Atlanta is your home. Atlanta and Georgia played a very prominent role in this past election. Um, there's the there's a trend that some are referring to as, as reverse migration. Now, I think you moved to Georgia way ahead of that as a pronounced trend. But I, I often make note on this show about Charles Blow, the New York Times columnist who recently left Brooklyn with his family and moved to Atlanta. And I just heard him on a podcast the other day saying how he feels safe in Atlanta because there's so many black 
policemen. And he just doesn't have the same feeling as he had in New York when he didn't see as many. So I'm curious about your feeling of if any of that. But I also want to get to this fourth reconstruction. So take it away in any order. Yeah. So I, I never answered this question for anybody. I, I've done hundreds and hundreds of interviews. Um, no one's ever asked me the question, but you're so smart. You, you did. And I'm happy to answer it for the first time. I would never have been me without Los Angeles. We don't have time for the story, but I got a chronicle in my last book, if anybody's interested. But mom and dad came from East St. Louis. I'm sorry, my mother came from East St. Louis. Dad was from Mississippi. My great, my grandfather, born in 1871, R.B. Smith, was a farmer, probably a sharecropper. And my great-grandfather was absolutely a slave. And my father, as a show of, of prosperity, would drive back in that day when you bought a new car, if you really ball and you drove that car into Detroit and you went to the showroom in Detroit, got a new car, drove it back to L.A. And uh, so my dad in the 60s, uh, late early 60s, drove uh, to Detroit. I don't know how he ended up in East St. Louis, but was going through East St. Louis, met my mother by chance, fell in lust with her uh, and then in love with her. And my mom said, well, you got to move me 2000 away, 2000 miles away from East St. Louis or I'm and with my kids. Otherwise, she dreamed prophesized, I got to get 2,000 miles away from East St. Louis or I'm dead. Well, that just happened to be Los Angeles where my dad lived. So dad was like, cool, come on, let's go. So he turned his car around, never made it to Detroit, went back to LA and I was born in Good Samaritan Hospital in Los Angeles, lived on what was Santa Barbara, is now Martin Luther King Boulevard. Um, uh, and I, uh, mom and dad owned a gas station at Normandy and Vernon, I think it is, still there, South East corner, uh, still there. We lost it. We own an apartment building on Martin Luther King Boulevard. That was eight units. We lost it. We bought it for $18,000, Brad. Would be worth millions and millions today. So the generational wealth from owning our own home, having a gas station, having the, all that stuff, we lost it all. So there's nothing asset-wise holding me there. Mom and dad divorced. I lived in Compton, South Central LA. I've been all over LA, Malibu, et cetera, et cetera. By the way, restaurants changed my life. I went to go work at Joffrey's First of all, I went to work at Gladstones for Fish, and I took the bus from Compton to Gladstones uh, because I wanted to, to be an aspirational neighborhood. If I was going to work as a bus boy, I didn't want our way. I don't know if there are two more diametrically opposed neighborhoods. Well, it gets it gets even better. So yeah. So by the way, and this I really want young people listening to you to get this memo. Like I could have become a bus boy at the Denny's in Compton or wherever you know some other restaurant in. South Central, but I wouldn't have had a different culture, a different exposure. People I was waiting on couldn't have done much for me. So I, I didn't have any relationship capital and I didn't have any financial capital, but I needed to acquire both. So I took a bus, took Gladstones for Fish, took a 5 a.m. shift in the morning as a bus boy. I was a really bad bus boy. <laughs> um, 5 a.m. on Monday, you know, it's the worst shift on the planet. And I quickly learned, well, these are accountants I'm waiting on and lawyers. That's cool, but I don't want to be an accountant or a lawyer. I want to be a baller. Where the ball is at? Joffrey's Malibu. So I took a bus further up the coast. It's another what, Brad, what, 30 minutes? Yeah. Up the coast. And um, to Joffrey's, got a job there as a busboy and ran into Harvey Basket and Joffrey Etienne. Harvey was worth $200 million, a billion dollars today. He owned the restaurant. He'd given it to his uh, his partner, uh, his lover, uh, Joffrey Etienne, as a gift. Joffrey was this really handsome guy. Um, uh, and a just beautiful dresser and really nice guy. Unfortunately, he's passed on. I met everybody there. 
and, but I became uh, so close to Harvey, I went to go work for him as an assistant at his home, which was, which was used to be the Malibu train station on, I think it was Broad Beach Road. And I, made, so I'm from Compton in South Central, Brad. I'm working in this dude's house that the house is bigger as an office building on the beach. And I, you know, sure, he paid me nothing. $19,000, but I was getting paid oh, in exposure. Sure. Every phone call that came in, I listened to. Mm-hmm. Every every call he couldn't take, I took the message and talked to the baller on the other line. I listened to everything Harvey said. I took notes. I went to, this is not your question you're asking, but this is where my heart took me, and I'll answer the question about LA. So uh, one day I said, uh, Harvey, let me take you to dinner. Fine. So like driving Miss Daisy, because he's broken his a- ankle, he's in the backseat of my then Audi. And I'm driving him down <laughs> the close highway. And I didn't care what it looked like. Uh, so we go to this restaurant in Venice. Don't remember the name of it. You would know. And uh, we have to. Bill comes. It's 100 bucks. Back then, that was, call it $500 to me. I'm like, I pushed the bill to Harvey. <laughs> <laughs> Brad, Harvey pushes the bill back to me. <laughs> I said, you must be out your damn mind. You, you're the rich. I push the bill back to Harvey. He pushes it back to me. I go to push it back. He said, stop, John. <laughs> he, said, it's, you, he said, you got you, you to decide what you want. You want to pick my brain or pick my pocket? Mm-hmm. One mm-hmm. last longer. Can't now, be both. Now make a decision. Mm-hmm. Can't be both. I pulled the bill back, Brad. Took the last $100 I had of the money for gas to get back home, back to Ed Malibu. Paid the bill, shut my mouth. And I asked him every question that was on my mind from the, that moment till I got back, because he was going to get distracted when I got him back home. I had him captive. This basically billionaire. And that's that's my whole life. Like being curious, nosy, sticking my nose in, asking questions, and paying the price to show up, right? Yeah. And not, not go get buy stereo, not go mm-hmm. buy some clothes, some jewelry. No, it's a plane ticket to DC for a 15 minute meeting. It's mm-hmm. a, you know, taking somebody to dinner who actually might change my life. It's going to take the bus to some place where if I work there and had the right opportunity, whole life could change. So that was my LA gift because you, there's no such thing as failure in LA. It's just reset. Like history in LA is two years old, right? Nobody for that. No, if that, nobody remembers your failures. Nobody cares, actually, right? So everybody concerned about themselves. So the thing that caused me to move is I made it. I made a little money. I was successful. Had a condo on La Tijera at the airport, right at the La Tijera in the 405. Um, had, you know, success by L.A. standards. Mm-hmm. But I didn't know my neighbor. And I wasn't convinced if I knocked on my neighbor's door that they would answer the door. I wasn't quite sure if I... If I if I, my car was stopped on the, on the side of the freeway, that anybody, that somebody with ill intentions would stop to help me. But that wasn't it. That, that wasn't a defining factor. It was that when I went to an uh, event at, a, at a, one of the, the studios, and there was like Ethiopian food, and Ethiopian culture, and it was beautiful, it was gorgeous. When I started talking about Ethiopian hunger, the model next to me said, oh, what are you talking about? What time is that party at Brad Pitt's office, <laughs> house, right? They were gone. So the conversation I was trying to have wasn't really conducive mm-hmm. or desirous because LA is about, I mean, it's beautiful weather, it's palm trees, it's beautiful, it's creative, it's, it's perfect for what it is. And I had gone there, checked that box, checked that mm-hmm. ticket, bought the t-shirt, but now I wanted to move through. There's a reason why the writers and the intellectuals and, and DC and capital and money is all East is because, because the weather is crappy East. So folks for hundreds of years had to go inside they couldn't go outside, so they were reading books. 
Whereas in California, it's palm trees and beauty. And so you're outside enjoying it. And so your your creativity spurs. That's why all the creative genius is on the West Coast. It, I wanted something deeper at that point. And I want to talk about civil rights and justice and opportunity and movement. So I, Ambassador Young told me to, he said, come to Atlanta. I remember one day we met, met with the mayor. I won't say which one. And at the mayor's request, I brought Andrew Young because he wanted him. He made me sit on the floor, wouldn't give me a seat. <laughs> which was a dis- sign of disrespect, it's fine, and in his office. And when we left, Ambassador Young said, you know, he thinks he, you want to run against him. Every black politician, our Latino, probably thinks you're only doing all this stuff because you want to run against him. They're not going to help you. He said, a prophet is only without honor in his own hometown. He said, in Atlanta, they called Dr. King Marty, M.L., Michael, which was his birth name. They wouldn't give him respect. He was 5'7", 150 pounds, 160 pounds. They called him a kid. See, that's why they call him Dr. King. Staff gave mm-hmm. him some gravitas, called him Dr. King. He said, John, you got to come to Atlanta, come back to L.A. as an honored citizen. So I moved and my whole life changed. So I think it's horses for courses. It's places for places for phases. I love it. Places for phases. Yeah, I love mm-hmm. it. It was just at a different, I was in a different mm-hmm. phase of my life. My wealth skyrocketed when I came here. Financially, I'm the largest owner of single family rental homes in America today who's a minority. I own $110 million worth of real estate, 700 homes from Atlanta to Florida to our people at, at affordable housing rates. But I started that company in 2017. I had no, I owned nothing before that. Um, and I'm about to buy 50 more next month. The average home value here, Brad, is 100. I bought it from 80,000, now worth 180,000. I'm going to keep buying until they get to 300,000. You can't buy a closet in LA for $150,000. This is a single family home Front yard, backyard, garage, yard, 1,400 square feet for your family. You can be middle class at $50,000 a year here and be balling. And so uh, I just think that this is where wealth creation is going to get created for our people is the mm-hmm. Southeast. Um, the New York money's already made, Manhattan. It's already mm-hmm. made. LA money's already made. All right? you're, you, you can floss there, but you're not going to build legitimate wealth there. So I'll come to LA and spend my money, <laughs> but I'm making my money. Here. Well, I, I mean, that, that says so much, so much about you, too, John, and, and that, you know, recognizing, you know, what was real. I mean, L.A., I, I, I would never put Los Angeles down. I love it. I'm a native New Yorker, but I'm proud to say that I've had some great years in Los Angeles and it served me well. Yeah. Um, but I think it says a lot about you to being to be willing to kind of put that life aside for something that spoke more to the spirit and your quest and your mission. And that's what you did. And obviously it was a good move for you. Mm-hmm. Brad, I, I own 13 acres, 15 minutes from the airport. I'm going to repeat that. My family and I live on, we call it country chic. We live on a 13 acre compound, 15 minutes from the busiest airport in the world. Where is that possible? Where? It's not, I mean, where? No place in America. So uh, this is a, another example. Just the stuff that I could do here, I just couldn't do anyplace else. I certainly couldn't do it in Southern California. Unless, I mean, I, I spent $50 million and maybe get 13 acres someplace. But the, what I, the, while I was buying it and rehabbing it, it was going up in value here in Atlanta, right? It's not going down. <laughs> it's going up, right? I mean, my, my homes are literally increasing in wealth when I'm sleeping. Mm-hmm. Like, there is, listen to me, everybody. When you can buy a $100,000 house, a $200,000 house, until that gets to $500,000, it's called a bargain, right? So either you want to stay in L.A., great, but buy three homes in, in Atlanta or Tennessee or any of these second-tier growing cities. Because Atlanta today is the 10th largest economy in the U.S. 
It's the largest economy in the South, the only international city in the South, 20, one of the 20 largest cities, economies in the world. If it was a country, it'd be the 31st largest economy in the world behind Norway, Atlanta, built by black people and white people working together on the green. So I think we gotta, you know, stop just reading the newspaper about what's cool and spending money we don't have in places that don't want us with, with about things that don't matter uh, in places we don't own really paying off somebody else's mortgage. And that's living in Manhattan and renting, as living in Buckhead here in Atlanta and renting. It's renting anywhere. You paid off my mortgage as an investor. Mm -hmm. The third reconstruction is really about this historic moment I think we're in now between 2020 and 2030. It's a 400-year-old social justice reckoning of black America. It's social justice through an economic lens. It's uh, There's never been a time if you're black, responsible, hardworking, and intelligent, you you walk you standing in a bus stop right now and somebody knew your resume they pick you up from the bus stop throw you in their car and hire you like there's never been a time there's been a, there's never been a time to be more in vogue than black and I think any time in, in history than right now right now I, every company's or hiring a chief sustainability officer chief diversity and inclusion officer every company could that be you whoever you is listening mm-hmm. to that. Every now it's popular to invest in a black owned business to help a black owned business or a Latino or women or whatever underserved. It's in everything's on reset, everything. So think about you're if you're listening to this, you're not Joe Blow or Jane Schmo. You're a brand. Jane Schmo LLC, John Smith LLC. What are you putting out on social media? What's your brand look like? Are you walking through the, through the airport with slippers on, pajamas, uh, your hair in a bun? looking like, dang it, I'll bite you. That's your brand. You want some, is somebody going to invest in that? Are, are you, you know, can you not finish a sentence? Or do you not read a book? I mean, I, 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 this may be brutal and rough, harsh, but this, this is what people say to you when they love you. Right. They tell you the truth, mm-hmm. right? And the truth is, I wouldn't hire you. And I love you, mm-hmm. right? But I wouldn't hire you, right? No one's going to hire you. You know, black people, it's not that black people shouldn't do marijuana. We can't afford to. Right. Unless you are in the creative spaces and marijuana makes you more creative in the recording studio, you shouldn't be doing it because it dulls your senses. It dulls your brain. And you need to be as sharp as you can be because this world is not giving you a break. It's not cutting you a break. Haven't you noticed? You got to be get up twice as early, stay up twice as late, work twice as hard, be twice as good to just get the opportunity everybody else has. So you got this moment right now where every you can change uh, 400 years of history. In two years, you can create the next hundred years of the future in 10 years. Don't you want to be part of that? Don't you want to have a legacy? Of course you do. You you die twice in this world, Brad, when you physically die and when someone mentions your name for the last time. Mm-hmm. Don't we want everybody listening to this for the world to say your name for time immortal? Of course you do. That's why you have children. That's why you, that's why people have grandchildren and children. They want, their, they want the family to proliferate, right? Because that's their legacy. But there's also another legacy. It's about what you give, not what you get. I just, I think that we're sitting in a moment now, man, and everybody, whatever your dream is, it can come true right now. I'm living proof. I have a GED degree out of high school. Chris Rock calls it a good enough diploma. <laughs> I was homeless at La Tierra Airport. Brad, you know that corner, that caddy corner. It was a little Italian restaurant sitting right there on the way to the airport. I lived in a Montero Jeep under a car cover for six months because I lost everything at 18 years old and everybody wrote me off and said I would not amount to anything, but God don't make dirt. 
So I've been at the bottom. I've had a 400 credit score. I've tried, I've flirted with bankruptcy. I've lost it all. I've been homeless. I've been derided. I've been disrespected. I've been written off. But God don't make dirt and I'm still here. But you know what? Once you get through all that, nobody can hurt you. I take no for vitamins. <laughs> it, it, you, you, you don't like me? It's okay. I like me. You're not flowing me? That's all right. That means your business plan is wrong, not mine. My business plan is working just fine. Black folks need a business plan for the 21st century. We, 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 have, it, we should be en enough with the trauma, enough with somebody else defining our agenda. You cannot have 48 million black people trying to be 5,000 rappers, 5,000 pro basketball and football players, and 10,000 entertainers. The numbers don't work. The money is in engineers. You'll never, you want to make sure you don't ever go broke? Be an engineer, mechanical engineer, uh, computer engineer, anything. You'll never go broke. Uh, uh, engineering, the professions, management, real estate is, and finance is a third of this economy, Brad. Healthcare is a third of the economy. The professions is the other third. Music, where we all obsess on, and I love music, it's only $54 billion in a $20 trillion economy. That's infinitesimally small. It's, it's like people are hiding the ball from us, and I'm tired of it. This is about wealth creation, everybody. Listen to me. Wealth creation. It gives you all money is its freedom. That's all it is. I want to wear a T-shirt like I'm wearing right now in the middle of my business day. I can because I'm the CEO. <laughs> well, I think, you know, John, for our folks, sometimes it has to get a little sexy, you know, for them to 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 the young ones to to notice in, in this environment that we're in. And in the last 20 years, however many years you want to tack on to that, we've made other things sexy, Don't you know, because those were the examples, unfortunately, that a lot of us see the athletes, the rappers and nothing wrong with those professions. Those are yeah. admirable professions. Absolutely. And if you can rise to the top, God bless you. God bless you. But, for a John Bryant to emerge at this point in time for the with the opportunities that are presented, the ones that you just laid out, I, I have not I can't recall another time where it's been so good to be black trying to be about something in business. So this is one of those moments. And is, if the system is changing, John, you're part of the reason why that system might change, because I really do feel like you're building something. It's not just words. There are tangible things. These these deals that you're doing, we didn't have time to get to, um, like the Shopify deal. I know that's a, a huge deal. And as we're running out of time, I, I don't want to not mention that because I think that's a, I just, I, I read how you're going to also coach folks into business and, and teach them, give them lessons on entrepreneurship, not just give them a million dollar check like a shark tank and say, your, your idea is a great idea, run with it. You know, our people need, you know, a little bit more instruction than that. So as we're winding down, say what you like about that. And then I, um, I also want to all point to John that, you know, my, my brother-in-law happens to be white and he leans a little bit right, but he watches you on CNBC religiously. And why I bring that up is because you have a unique ability to cross the aisle. When we're looking at such polarization politically, it makes you frustrated with the process. But as you have often said, point to a better you know, where where does it work better? So we got to work this out here. But you have a unique skill, man, to to be able to deal with the issues head on. And yes, it's, sometimes it's tough love, but it's the love that you need to hear. But you also say things, man, that both sides are nodding their heads about saying yes. But yet we can't seem to get our politicians to do that. 
So I don't want to lose you to office, but I, I don't know if you have some plans to run. And I just said a lot. I'm going to pause. We're going to wrap up. I want you to get the last word before I have a final question for you. So yeah, take it. We, by the way, I always do a phase two or part two with you. So if you want to come back and do another one, we can have happy to do it because we're trying to cover a lot of ground. Thank but, you. you know, like I had six billionaires take me to a little place in 2019, middle of nowhere. I thought they were going to kill myself, kill me. <laughs> but, you know, they, they were just trying to ask me to run for president. Um, the answer was no. Uh, I think that what we're do trying to do right now is much more meaningful than me trying to be a politician. Um, you know, the world can change in an instant, but anybody thought I was doing this for political office, I'm in my 29th year at Operation Hope. Don't you think I would have done it by now, right? Um, uh, so the first thing I'm doing is trying to, is trying to, we need, as my brother, my brother Killer Mike said, we need a huge, legitimate, mainstream business success story that everybody else can go, okay, now I know I can do that. Right. I don't have I, I can't rap. I can't sing. I'm not a good basketball player. I tell you What's the, the blueprint. Sport. Show me the blueprint. Yeah. I'm the only sport that I'm good at is, mm -hmm. all, um, you know, uh, motorsports. Right. So I already told you. So that, but we don't have a blueprint for mainstream success. Well, I want to give that. I think I can give that. That's my one contribution I can give. But it's taking everything I've gotten. And I can't get distracted by other things that, frankly, other people can do. Other people can be the elected officials and the community leaders and the civil rights leaders. We need all of that and, and reform for the police and police brutality and deal with public po All that's important. But this is my contribution. Black capitalists matter. <laughs> this is, that's my T-shirt. And this is the I think this has a, this. You change this. You change everything else. They didn't get Al Capone for murder and mayhem and rape. They got him for tax evasion. Right. Under everything is money. We really don't have time for this conversation, unfortunately, because it, 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 each one of these rabbit holes is a separate situation. I cut up to answer your question, cut a hundred thirty million dollar deal, 10 year deal with Shopify, second largest e-commerce company in America to create a million new black businesses in 10 years. Uh, in the last six months, we're already at 20,000 black businesses mm. uh, and growing. And it's just pulsating. I got a note this morning from. Uh, a big fraternity, black fraternity. They want to sign on, make a commitment. So that's pulsating and growing. Uh, we've just signed a deal uh, with uh, uh, Truist Bank, which is huge here in the East Coast. They're going half of their branches for Hope Inside. That's a twenty million dollar deal. We just cut a deal with Wells Fargo to go into you know their platform. Um, the um, there's a deal that uh, that I cut with the CEO of Walmart that was announced two weeks ago for financial literacy for all. It's me, him, uh, CEO of Delta, CEO of Disney, CEO of Walgreens, the sister, Roz Brewer, head of the NFL commissioner, head of the NBA commissioner, and somebody else I'm forgetting, Bank of America CEO, CEO Tony Rester, the billionaire, to take financial literacy and embed it into the business plan of America. That's, I think, the civil rights issue of this generation. When I say I want to create a system, an economic system for our people, I'm not playing. And I'm, it, it takes just as much energy to succeed big as it does to succeed small. So why should anybody do anything small now? Like, if I'm going to fall on my face, it's going to be a splat. <laughs> <laughs> You're not going to fall, man. And there's going to be plenty of us to make sure that you, that you don't. Um, so, John, last thing, and, and thank you for illuminating uh, uh, those points. And there's so much to cover with you. I, I would love to have you back, man, if you if you have the time. Um, my wife, though, wanted me to ask you this question because she has pointed this out. Command Central, that chair of yours. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Tell me about that, man. That's funny. Show us that. Yeah. So uh, this is a workstation called an Emperor Station, and it allows me to, to have uh, eight 
uh, work streams at the same time. So I can do eight different streams of work in eight different disciplines at the same time. Three across the screen, two on the side, and three here. Um, and uh, I and if I'm, I so I stand up here to work, and here and here, and those are, if you can see it, it's three screens. And then I go here, I sit down, that comes down, the screen comes down, this lifts back up, the seat lifts back up for back support. And I can sit there for 12 hours without getting tired and work while, it's, while looking at the news on what's going on in the world on TV. And I have a little on-air screen uh, 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 sign uh, outside both doors so my wife and family don't just walk in with whatever's on their mind at the moment. I literally had to have a blinking on-air <laughs> sign uh, when I'm doing an interview like this. So I just turned the home office into a, pro- a productivity center. And I just found it to be enormously rejuvenating. Um, and it's designed around no noise. Man, I love it. It's it's really supernatural, man, what you're able to do. And uh, just want to wish you the best, John. And uh, I, I, you know, we're going to continue to 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 see big things coming from John Hope Bryant. And uh, all we all we should be doing is trying to support you, John, in in any way, shape, or form. And uh, I appreciate the friendship. I appreciate the time. All the best to you, my brother. Thank you very much for joining us today, John Hope Bryant. So, folks, we are uh, segueing here to uh, how we move with uh, my dear friend, Ambassador Shabazz. What's happening, Ambassador? How you doing? I'm great. But, you know, what a what a absorption is the word I can use in reference to uh, listening to John Hope Bryant and his journey. And, you know, I was in Los Angeles when he was emerging as well. And, you know, watching him move, as he stated, well, I think that, you know, in the early 90s, when he was emerging, there was so much going on, as you all relate to um, doing the program. And that's when I was there in Los Angeles. And he, as he stated, he said he did not think he was cool, but I was raised in and around all the like socio-Britannica minded people, you know, folks that move like he moved, that thought like he thought that were progressive and intentional and unyielding. And while he was a young man in the early 90s, he was, I don't say relentless in the negative, I mean, relentless in the passionate of being informative, Um, the young men and women that I saw around him, the collection of folks that were certainly present and emerging during the Rodney King trial. I mean, we talk about today's Gen Zs and what we went through last year, and people are, if they're too young, they have no clue of what we lived through back then. So his brilliance as it relates to socioeconomic development, sustenance, in that regard, I certainly want to have a conversation with him. You know, I'm here in Louisville, Kentucky, as much of your audience knows, and in two days is the fifth uh, memorial of Muhammad Ali. And this is a person that is known all over the world. But just last year, we had the Brianna Taylor year, the young lady who was um, murdered here. And people don't realize that they never really said Ali's name. And you want to say Ali came to the fore when he was her age. So we can't celebritize someone whose whole life was really about social change and or play his name safe when it would have been perhaps the healing and the bridge that we needed. So while his date of transition is June 3rd, her 28th birthday is June 5th. And we're going to try to make sure that this week is a very potent one, very engaging. And there are a number of um, things. This is called Muhammad Ali Festival. June is. And so during that time, it's really about the celebration 
of life and the contributions of life. And there's a documentary coming out this weekend. Um, A number of people will walk through, you know, when Muhammad passed away, 400,000 people from around the globe descended on this city. It already has 700,000, but as the sixth largest convention city, it actually found a way to host those people. But most of those people went to the hood, straight to the hood, straight to the house, straight to those communities. And it's the same communities where we're building right now. Yeah, that's such a phenomenal project that uh, that you're involved in there in Louisville. And I can't wait to see it. And, you know, it, it's, it speaks to, you know, your, your continued commitment, closeness to the family. Yeah. Um, I know that. Uh, I love them. Yeah, that they and they love you back. And, you know, as we're winding up and, and after speaking with John, of course, he referenced your dad several times. We're talking about Ali. And, you know, it just makes me think about, in fact, I think John said this, that, you know, you're not thinking about history when you're in the middle of the moment. Right. And uh, this past year, of course, caused us all to really stop and think, you know, and and, and hopefully um, just appreciate uh, time because it's yeah. uh, it, everything just kind of became a little bit more clearly focused. But. You know, as I as I listen to someone like John talk and I know what he's trying to do and in the backdrop, the images of people like Muhammad Ali and your dad and Dr. King and Andrew Young. And when I think that maybe some part of our generation wasn't running our leg of the race as fast as we could, this alleviates that because we are in on purpose here. You know, we, yeah, are, we are doing what you know we were put here to do. It might not be as loud. It might not be as broadcasted or we might not be as prominent, but each of us is doing, you know, our part and you with the Ali Foundation, that's a very important endeavor that you're a part of. And, um, and I, it just, to me, connects me emotionally to what John is doing. Exactly. And, right. and you know, I, I know that we are running, you know, our, our leg of the race. You know, when I think about having been on the road over 40 years, going from lecture to lecture to lecture, I'll come in as a guest, but before me, there's always like a half hour of programming and it'll acknowledge and give credit to and reference to, it could be a teacher or a coach, the lady down the block. And each of those persons, I used to always think, thought they were the only one doing what they were doing. And I would go to another city and the same setup would take, you know, it would be the reverend. It, It could be somebody's grandmother over and over. And I used to always wonder, I was fortunate because I was moving from city to city, stage to stage, place to place, knowing that there was a large body of people in motion. And I always wondered, how do we enable all of those people doing good works to feel their connected dots, you know, their fraternity, their sorority, the network that we're not in this alone. So it's not about whose name you get to know. It's about just simply doing the work. Ali used to always reference that he didn't always feel like a boxer. He said the ring offered him the stage to do the rest of his work. Thank you for that. I I just want to acknowledge you because you do so much work quietly. You know, I I think that it's often easy to, you know, to pay attention to folks that get the headlines and stay in the news. But what you do is just so on the ground, touching people, talking to people, you know, even our relationship, quite honestly, you're accessible yeah. um, and you're accessible to a wide, wide range of people. Too many hours probably in the day. 
uh, for you to, to you know, go but, into but the following not, day with, with enough rest and then recuperation to. Yeah, uh, none did I regret. Sure. None did I regret. I mean, I'm limping and everything, <laughs> and limping. I have to make sure, yeah, you know, I had to ask the young man today, can we stop through a McDonald's drive through That wouldn't be normal. I said to him, he just sent me an email saying, you know, thanks for lunch. I said, next time it'll be with a knife and fork, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but, well, you know. Any lunch with you is, is, is worth it, whether it's a McDonald's drive through or a sit down lunch. So yeah. I'm looking forward to having one of those with you real soon. Me Ambassador too. Shabazz, thank you. Great to see you as always. And uh, we'll be in touch real soon. Same to you. And thanks for all that you're doing and giving these forums for people like John Hope Bryant and others so that more and more of your listening audience gets to know what's going on. I appreciate that. Corner Table Talk is hosted by Brad Johnson. Produced by Brad and Linda Ailes Johnson. Theme music, Life Goes On by Bryce Vine. Executive producers, Omar Thompson, Andrew Kalb, and Ken Johnson. Find the Corner Table Talk podcast wherever you get your podcast. Follow, subscribe, rate, and leave a comment. Corner Table Talk is a Say It Loud Network production.